grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The text is the Holy Gospel. Please be seated. Well, brothers and sisters, get settled in today. I want you to take a deep breath. Are you ready? Okay, let's go. It's uh, time to be repented and faith today by the Lord from the Lord's first sermon that he ever preached, recorded in Mark 1. It's a doozy. Our Lord wastes no time. You can sense the urgency of his words. Listen, the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, God reigns on the earth in Jesus. You see, Jesus is the kingdom of God, the reign of God on the earth in the flesh. This then is the fullness of time. This then is the salvationally gargantuan moment when God the Father sends forth his son born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law, to buy back with his own divine blood all of us who are doomed under the curse and damnation of the law. Yes, the sermon that Jesus preaches is a turning point in the history of the world. I compare this to the two-minute warning in the NFL. Yeah, I still watch it, unfortunately. With his petite but powerful inaugural sermon, the entire universe then has gone into its two-minute drill. Only two minutes left. Like that period we might see today in the AFC Championship game between the Bills and the Chiefs at Arrowhead, where every play by Patrick Mahomes matters and every second counts because there's no time to waste. Learn this and learn it well. Don't blow what Jesus preaches. Don't blow it off today. Don't slip into the culture's comfortable complacency and decadence. Never assume that the sun will come up tomorrow. Too many, too many people assume that everything is going to get back to normal. Maybe not. Today might just be our last divine service together here at Trinity. Today might be the last time that we hear the forgiveness of our sins before we stand before the judgment seat of Christ on the last day. Yes, the kingdom of God is at hand. What a sermon that is. It's urgent. It projects the critical biblical truth that we live in the last days, the end of time, what the book of Revelation figuratively calls the thousand years in Revelation 20. Yes, the kingdom of God is at hand. That's what makes it like a two-minute drill in the NFL. We have been living in the last days ever since Jesus preached that sermon. The end of time began when he Good Fridayly cried out, It is finished. So ever since his first sermon, his death, his resurrection, his ascension to his throne next to his father to reign, the last days have indeed begun. The kingdom of God is at hand. And that, brothers and sisters, changes our perspective on what is really essential in our lives. If I can talk like that, oh, I think I will. The appointed time, Paul says in the epistle, has grown very short. The present form of this world, Paul says in the epistle, is passing away. We get reminders of this all the time. Earthquakes, floods. I was talking to you about when Yellowstone will explode and blow up. Fires, broken marriages, wrecked families, senseless murders, disease, decay, death, the extinction of another species in the Amazon, the out-and-out -out cancellation of Western civilization and all of its history, 
No equal justice under the law, the utter disregard for human life, especially in the womb, the wanton destruction of property in this country, the total disregard of liberty, the criminalization of free speech, the relentless elitist persecution of the church and the hatred of Christianity. Yes, the present order of things is passing away. <laughs> things aren't evolving. Things are devolving, falling apart. Don't believe the lie that things are always going to get better. They get worse, the Bible teaches. But the good news is that in the end, Jesus appears. Why? Because the kingdom of God is at hand with the coming of Jesus. So this helps you live in this uh, <clears throat> troubled world. Because the kingdom of God has come in Good Friday, Jesus, the idolatrous umbilical cord to the world has been cut for us. We are born anew from above to live as God's children by faith in Jesus. Jesus, you see, frees us from the slavery to sin and death to responsibly live in this world. In other words, trusting in Jesus gives us all the freedom to work, not freedom from work. Since we know that there is more to life than acquiring worldly possessions, as if all that stuff can save us, we can live and work as people who are in the world, but not of the world. We know that we, through faith in Jesus, are simply pilgrims passing through this world to something greater. As Paul says, our citizenship is in, it's in heaven. We know that what is greater has already come in the Lord Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God is at hand. Now, here is where my sermon today is going to get really rough. And don't tune me out just yet. I hope you don't. Here goes. We must let nothing get between us and Jesus. Or to put it differently, Jesus must get between, between us and everything. Or everything will become idolatry for us. When Jesus says in the text, follow me, he lays claim to all that you are and all that you have. Jesus doesn't want just to spare three hours or maybe 45 minutes of your time on a Sunday morning if you can somehow manage it a couple of times a month or maybe, maybe give 10% of your income. Jesus wants all of you. He wants everything of you. You see, when Peter, Andrew, James, and John the trawlers that reeked of fish heard the words, follow me, from the lips of Jesus. They left everything, all their nets. They didn't take any nets with them. Uh, they left all their boats. They didn't take a boat with them. They left their relatives, their businesses, their entire lives. They left everything to follow Jesus. And where in the world was Jesus going? <laughs> you know, to do a Good Friday on the cross. You see, when Jesus calls a person to follow him, he is calling that person to, uh, 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 to die with him and to rise with him. Jesus wants to embrace the whole of you with his death and life. Jesus wants to make his death and life yours. 
Jesus won't settle for just a piece of you. There's no such thing as half a disciple, a quarter of a disciple, three quarters of a disciple. He wants the whole enchilada of you. You know from your reading of the New Testament that there were plenty of would-be followers of Jesus, those who heard his gracious invitation to follow me, but they went the opposite way. There was the young man who said to Jesus, or pardon me, to whom Jesus said, sell all your possessions, give all the money to the poor, and follow me, and I'll take care of you. You can trust me, even if you don't have anything, I'll take care of you. But he wouldn't trust Jesus because of his great, what? His great wealth. There was a man who told Jesus, well, I first got to bury my father. And there was another who said, well, I have to say goodbye to my family first. Now, as important as these things might be, they don't mean anything apart from Christ. And if they get in the way of following him, those things have to go. Without Christ, we have nothing, even though we possess everything in the world. With Christ, we have everything, though we possess nothing in this world. I fear that we, and I include myself, we have become so decadent and bored that we are not surprised in the least at how quickly four fishermen leave absolutely everything to follow Jesus. That really should shock us. But it doesn't. Why not? It really ought to have our full attention. But it doesn't. Would I, would we, be willing to put ourselves so radically in Christ's hands? These four fishermen had no guarantee of housing, income. Jesus offered no promises of safety and security, no health plan, no housing, no retirement benefits, no pension plans. They left everything for nothing but Jesus. Would I do that? Would we? I fear the honest answer is no, we wouldn't. Were it left for our old Adamic selves to decide, we would hold something back. We would keep something in reserve, just in case this being a Christian gig doesn't work out like we thought it would. Now, so that you don't get the wrong impression of these four men, there was nothing exceptional in Peter and Andrew and James and John. Their following Jesus is not due to some inner quality in them, some heroic aspect of their character that made them follow Jesus. Oh, there is nothing in these four fishermen that made them into followers of Jesus and fishers of men. What made the difference was what? <laughs> it's the word that Jesus spoke. With his word in the New Testament, Jesus silences the demons and casts them out of people. With his word, Jesus heals the sick. With his word, Jesus cleanses the leprous, raises the paralyzed man from his mat. And with his word, Jesus is the one who calls disciples. And he says, follow me to these four fishermen tending their nets. And it is the living and the powerful, powerful word of Jesus that has its way with them. The word does what it says, and Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they followed. It is the word 
that makes fishermen into fishers of men. Had Jesus not spoken this word, there would have been no following on the part of the four men. So before we can be doers of God's word, we must be first what? Hearers of his word. Before we can be followers of Jesus, we must be listeners to Christ's word. Before we can be fishers of men, we must be fish that are caught in the net of our Lord's death and resurrection. His word must have its way with all of us. And this word of Jesus is no idle human word. It is the word of God in the flesh. When Jesus speaks, things happen. The demons flee, diseases healed, the paralyzed walk, the blind see, the deaf hear, and the dead live. Sins are forgiven, and fishermen, <laughs> fishermen follow. <coughs> the word does it all. So more of his words in the text. Repent and believe in the gospel. Did you hear that? Jesus just spoke to you in those words. Repentance and faith is what it means to follow Jesus. These aren't one-time words, but continual words. It's not as if I have to just repent once in my life and just believe once in my life and then do whatever I feel like I want to do. The word repent is continually repenting. And the word believe is continually believing in the gospel. This is how you and I all follow Jesus. By daily dying to our sins and rising to new life. Daily repentance and faith in Christ. Repentance and faith, by the way, are not things that we do. But what God works in us through his, <laughs> his word. He is the one who repents us. He is the one who faiths us. And uh, as you all know from experience, repentance, it's not a very pleasant, happy thing. Because it means that we have to tell the, the truth. And what's that truth? Well, we're all sinners. That we've sinned in thought, word, and deed. And that's, uh, that brings a lot of sorrow in our lives, doesn't it? We sorrow over our sin. We have terror about God's wrath because of our sin. There's grief over the realization of our sinning against God and the sin that we've committed against others. Yeah, you don't feel good when Jesus says, repent! and when he works his repentance in you. Yeah, the old Adam hates to die. The old Adam, when he hears the word repent, gets mad at Kuhlman and tunes Kuhlman out. The old Adam shuts his Bible tight, avoids church, and denies God. And that's why the old Adam must die. And the Lord Jesus does that as he repents. But the law is not God's last word. Repentance is not God's last work. Yes, God kills, but he also, he also makes alive. That's his cup of tea. He brings down to death, but he also raises the dead. Jesus says repent, but he also says believe in the gospel. And that word, too, must have its way with all of us. The good word of the gospel says Jesus Christ has died and he is risen for you. So believe in him, and everything he has is yours. His perfect life is your life. His perfect death is yours. His resurrection is yours. His ascension and glory are yours. His kingdom, the reign of his forgiveness over all that condemns you, yep, it's yours. That's why Paul says in Romans 8, there is therefore now a 
just of the future, but now. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, Jesus delivers that to you with the simple little imperative, believe. Believe in the gospel, the good news, that the kingdom of God has come to you in the flesh of Jesus Christ. Yes, the time is fulfilled here and now for you. The kingdom of God is at hand here and now for you. Repent, be turned from yourself and your sin, and believe in the gospel. Trust in Jesus, crucified, risen, and reigning for you and for your salvation. Live in and from your baptism. Be forgiven in his name. Receive his body and blood. Yes, follow him. Daily dying to sin and rising to new life through faith in him. And he will give you life, eternal life. <laughs> That's wonderful. In the name of Jesus, amen.